0: Doing the work to understand what makes you happy and what you're naturally good at is so incredibly important.
1: Welcome to the Health Science Coach Podcast. My name is Drew Garner, and I'm a health science and physical education teacher. This is a podcast to help students, parents, and recent graduates learn about pathways into healthcare and sports medicine careers. These industry professionals lay out how their experiences have helped them get to where they are now. If you enjoy this content, please subscribe to the channel or download through your podcast player thanks again for spending some time with us today now let's dig in may is a time to raise awareness of those living with mental or behavioral health issues and to help reduce the stigma so many experience today we get the pleasure of meeting with ariana gibson she is the founder and ceo of the stigma app her personal core values are integrity compassion and empowerment she is a creative director researcher and brand strategist who is building a new kind of mental health app that uses storytelling and reciprocal social connections to reduce the loneliness and stigma. The web app can be found at www.thestigma.app. She is also a documentary filmmaker and mental health advocate working to do her part to help eliminate the stigma surrounding mental illness. Her first short film, Stigma, Strong, is a film festival semifinalist and is available to rent or buy on Amazon Prime. I truly hope you enjoy our conversation. If you're interested in more information about other professions within healthcare, please visit healthsciencecoach.com and talk to your school counselor or academic advisor. Stay happy, healthy, and remember to live life with passion. Welcome, Ariana. How are you doing today?
0: I am good and happy to be here. Good to see you.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for coming on and spending some time about talking about what you do and uh, your your app that you have. Um, so let's just start off a little bit and give a little detail about what the Stigma app is and what you're able to do uh, for mental health.
0: Yeah. So um, I did not set out to be the founder of a tech company or of a mobile app for mental health. Um, I actually studied film in college after changing majors. I was pre-med and then totally switched. I Um, actually paid attention to what was in my heart and thought about what do I want to spend my life doing. And I'm really proud of myself for doing that at a young age. Um, But I released a short film um, and the response to that film inspired me to create what is now Stigma App. So um, overall, what Stigma App does is helps people find other people who share their lived experience. So it could be someone else who um, is navigating depression. It could be someone else with autism. It could be um, someone else who feels lonely. So we're expanding into categories outside of um, kind of diagnosable mental illnesses. Because what we understand is that um, you don't have to have a mental illness to have good days and bad days. The idea of mental health is that we all have it. And some of us are born with limitations that make us have to work a little harder. Just like if we're born with a physical limitation, we have to work a little harder to do um, the same things that others who don't have that limitation do. So We wanted to create a place where people, and especially young people, um, could go to get living proof that they're not alone. So we um, host mental health pop-ups. We enable people to come talk about what it's like to walk in their shoes. We've actually worked with uh, high schools in the Kansas City area to capture student stories. And then people can filter by lived experience. So if you wanna see stories of other people with ADHD, you can click that filter and see a bunch of stories of different people of different ages talking about life for them. And then if and when you want to, you're able to use the app to either ask for a message of hope. So let's say you're having a hard day and you think, I don't want to tell my parents about it again. I don't want to put this on my friends again. But I just want someone to tell me you know, that it's going to be OK or to give me a little bit of a boost. Right. Um, you're able to use our platform to either text, um, use an audio message or a video message to ask for hope. Um, it will be shared with your choice of audience. So it could be, I want to share it with everyone in the stigma community, or you could say, I only want to share this with other people who have anxiety. Um, And then you get messages back messages of support and hope um, that are personalized that are not created one for many. It's, you know, let's say that, Drew, you and I both have anxiety, and I'm having a day where I've had a panic attack, and I just I just want someone else to tell me that they also have panic attacks and that I'm not weird for having this. Right. I might put my ask out there. You would get an alert saying that someone who shares your lived experience is looking for a message of hope. And then you could record a message that's just for me where you can look in the camera and say, hey, Arianna, I'm Drew. Introduce yourself. And it's a much more personal way to connect with people and a more private way um, that just sort of gives you you know, a little bit of hope and knowledge that you're not alone in whatever it is you're going through.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, just sh- being able to share life experiences and having that real time connection with different people that are going through that same kind of life situation uh, is pretty important. And, like you mentioned, uh, you know, everybody has mental health and it's not just the people with the limitations, but everybody has mental health and they can do things that will help benefit them throughout the day. Um, so, as like you kind of mentioned, you didn't really set out to, to start a mental health uh, startup. Um, can you talk a little bit about, uh, as the founder and CEO, I'm sure you wear a lot of different hats. Um, what's your kind of daily routine or week example kind of laid out as far as uh, working through the app or kind of those pop-up events that you mentioned?
0: Yeah, so um, it is a whirlwind every single day and no two days are the same, which a lot of people will say um, about, about a lot of jobs, but especially about being a founder. In my case, I kind of have a unique situation in which I feel like I'm building two businesses at the same time um, okay. because we have uh, this sort of media arm or content generation area of the business where we are um, doing what work a producer does. So um, reaching out to people to say, we want to capture your story, scheduling a space for us to record the video, hiring the crew to do the video shoot, engaging with the editors to make sure that the editors are um, available to do the work that we need, maybe custom composing a soundtrack that will go with um, a podcast that we want to launch, or, um, you know, the, the audio branding mark that we right. put at the end of videos. Um, and coupled with that, We are a tech company um, that has an app. So right now our app is what's called a web app. And all that means is that you have to go to a web browser, either on your phone or on a computer. You go to Safari or Firefox or Internet Explorer or whatever it is that you use and you type in www.thestigma.app. And you can create an account. It's free, it always will be. Um, And the idea is that you engage with it in that way. But we're currently building the mobile app, which requires working with engineers and getting everything ready to submit it to the app store and Google Play. Um, Because we know that for most people, the ability to um, have that ease of use on their phone, to have a reminder that, hey, someone could use your support as a push notification or a text is better than getting an email because then you have to log into your email, you're probably there for a different reason. So a lot of my day is thinking through how does the, the media arm feed the app that we're building. Um, We're brand new, so how do we build an audience? Can I reach out to reporters to get stories so that we can tell them about like this new feature we just launched today, I can't wait to tell you about. Um, But thinking through how do we promote uh, what it is that we're doing? How do I nurture the team that I have? I have two full-time employees and about eight contractors. So how am I being thoughtful of creating um, events or ways for us to bond in a virtual environment? Um, as an early stage startup, I'm also fundraising. So I have to think about like, what is the revenue model of this company? How do we earn money? How do I get pilots and partnerships with people who could be customers to take that to go pitch this to people who invest millions of dollars in companies? Um, And then, you know, managing our social media was something I was doing for a long time on my own. Um, And now I have a marketing manager who is wonderful. Her name's Emily. She um, is in the, you know, Gen Z generation. Um, She just graduated from college. And so she she's able to really uh, maintain our presence on social because so much of it is about showing up and having conversations and responding to people who engage. Um, So managing her. And then Brett is our other team member who I worked with at a previous company. He is the director of product and he manages um, engineering interns. So it's just a little bit of everything all the time, sometimes mixed in with a, and you have a a pop-up and a shoot on a Saturday. So, you know, get, coverage for your child and you know, a babysitter and all of that kind of stuff. So it's it's really busy. But what I can say is I've never been busier professionally and I've absolutely never been happier because I thought about what my purpose was. And I think young people, like if, if, if anyone is listening to this or watching this, the one takeaway I would say that is the most valuable of anything I'll say this whole time is doing the work to understand what makes you happy and what you're naturally good at is so incredibly important. But also coupling that with there's um, a very great Venn diagram. Maybe we can link to it or something in the in the show notes. Um, but it's of four circles, and it, it's circles that represent what am I naturally good at, what do I love to do, what can I get paid for, and what does the world need. So sometimes two circles converge, and that's a vocation. Um, but when all of them converge, in the center is your purpose, and so I think that. Um you don't have to know as a young person what your your purpose or career is going to be but you can start to put together thoughts on what are the things I love to do what are the things that I do and they just come naturally to me and I feel great at them and then right. start to understand if there are careers that apply those because that's what I did and now I get I I feel like I have my dream job but I had to make it for myself.
1: Yeah, no that's really awesome that you're able to to look at and and take what you or your purpose and find what you were looking for and and be able to create that perfect perfect thing for you. Um, so like you mentioned, you got your, you have a bachelor's of fine arts uh, from Boston College and you've studied film and cinema and video studies. Um, kind of looking at that, like you said, you were pre-med. How did you, and when did you kind of make that switch to want to change over into that film industry?
0: So as a little kid, I actually found um, some, you know, piece of work that I created at Somerset Elementary, which no longer exists, um, where we met each other, um, where I said it was like an about me book we had to make. And it says in there, I want to be a pediatrician. And so it's cool to be able to look back and go, oh, that was, you know, that was in me from a young age. Right. So I thought that was the path. And I actually interned for um, a doctor my senior year of high school. I was working for him a couple of days a week, just a few hours to get a feel for it. And I was really on that path. Um, I'll say that part of it came from um, growing up without a, a lot of money. Um, we moved from, I was born in Costa Rica, we moved from Costa Rica to Prairie Village um, with my mom. My dad stayed in Costa Rica. And we were, in the beginning, early days, even at Somerset, on free government lunch and did you know, had food stamps for a while and stuff where we needed government support. So part of my um, vision for what I should do with my life included it must be a career that makes a lot of money because I know what it feels like to not have money, and I want to have an adult life where I have money. And what I'll say is that as an adult, this might be the most broke I've ever been, (laughs) and I'm probably the most happy professionally that I've ever been. So I would also caution anyone listening who sort of feels pressured to take a path of engineering, because it pays well, or, you know, medicine, because it pays well, if you go that route, you probably won't be happy. um, Because you have to figure out like, what is it that fills your soul? And if money fills your soul, and that's who you are, I don't judge, um, then it is the right path for you. Um, But for me, I got to college, and it was first semester of um, college of my freshman year. I was in more advanced science classes. I'd always loved biology, but as I got into organic chemistry and some of the things that were just not, they didn't come naturally to me. I, I right. saw myself having to work so much harder than everyone else. I did, you know, a little bit of a a reflection and said, this is what you're going to be spending the next 10 years of your life doing. And not that it's all organic chemistry, but the idea being, if you're not liking some of the early courses, it's going to get harder. There is residency and all of the things that go along with being a doctor that I thought, I'm not sure. And I was also part of the honors program at Boston College, which meant that if I stayed on the pre-med track and I stayed in the honors program, I couldn't study abroad. And I love to travel. I love nothing more than meeting people in different cultures and eating the food and seeing and smelling and all of the senses being awoken by travel. And right. I knew that I would study abroad. And I thought, are you really willing to give up the ability to have that experience? Because I had a scholarship which would cover you know me going abroad. It was not extra um, money that I had to earn. And I did work thirty hours a week during college, so it was you know not not an easy path. but right. um, I thought to myself, is it going to be worth it to you to do this thing you're not sure you want to do um, and miss out on this thing you know is a life experience you'll regret not having? So that was part of the thought that led me to say, well, what would the other options be? Because I was a biology major pre-med. Right. Yeah. And I remember when I told my mom, like, I'm switching my major to film with a minor in history. She was like, what? Because it's not the sort of the most um, secure path. Like, like I'm going to go to college to be an artist. Um, but I found my way. And I think that I can look to that point in life and feel really a lot of pride in taking the risk to say, we get one life, we don't know how long it's going to be. um, So you might as well do things that make you feel happy. And for me, one of the things that makes me feel happy is helping others. So I knew that I could use this craft that I loved and was naturally good at to still help people. Because at the heart of when I did that reflection of why did why did I want to be a pediatrician? Sure, the sure thing, sure path to like, you know, better earning potential than some other industries or careers was part of it. But what it all, all roads led back to like giving back and helping people, and so I was able to find a way to lean into what I love, but still get to help people.
1: Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. And and like you said, knowing the things that you knew you absolutely wanted to do, um, like the travel and the the helping people and being able to to put all that together and figure out, you know, after realizing it was hard in organic chemistry and and becoming a pediatrician, like you said, is a long road. That ten years and putting, dedicating that time to that kind of led you to where you are now and by being able to combine all that stuff. um, After you graduated, you had a couple different jobs um, as a project manager, content developer, content creator, uh, senior advisor uh, for social impact and marketing. Um, How did those types of jobs help you uh, put together the Stigma app and really hone in on Creating your company?
0: Uh, Great question. So I saw um, a quote the other day, which is a little bit silly, and I didn't, I had not heard it at the time, but I looked back and I was like, I guess that's kind of what I did. And it said, um, if you're not learning and you're not earning, get out of the job and that's that is speaking to people who are kind of in this moment of they call it the great resignation and a lot of people are leaving their companies or starting companies or you know just getting a new job and the truth is there's almost always especially early in your career something you can learn and so if you're continuing to learn and develop your skills um that is great. But I think that's why that goal work and that thinking about your purpose work matters. Because if you don't know what the goal is, you can go, I'm learning, so I should stay. But if the skills you're learning are never going to serve you in the future that you want, that's also kind of a waste of time. The earning piece is like, okay, if you're making great money, then you can maybe stay while you figure stuff out. But early in your career, almost never do you make great money. Like, If you follow a more standard path in any industry, um, you're not going to be just like, swimming in dollars um, and your first job out of college, no matter what, um, with few exceptions. So I think that like the the thing that I knew was uh, this storytelling piece and wanting to make films. And I, I knew in college that that question people will ask each other like over dinner or just like when socializing of if you won the lottery, if money was no object, what would you spend your time doing? I knew for me in college that it was be a documentary filmmaker because it is not a position that pays well, but right. it's, it combines all of the things that I love. You travel to a place where the people are who you're going to make feel seen and feel special and important. And then you're going to put together story uh, with music and visuals and art and craft something that you put into the world that helps people understand something better and understand the lived experience of a person better. So it was just that that was a dream. So I got a job at um, GSDNM in Austin. So after college, I moved to Austin. It was a really fun city to live in at the time because it was really affordable. It's totally different than it is now. Um, But I got a job at like the biggest ad agency there. And I remember thinking, this isn't the role I want. It was a creative project manager. And I will say that my boss uh, was amazing. I loved her. And I loved every woman on my team, which was sort of a rarity. There was It was just a good team of people. It was a fun environment. Um, but I took it because I wanted to get exposure at Working in an ad agency and as a project manager, that's not actually what I'm naturally good at at all. Um, I'm like an idea person, and I'm better when I have a partner who's good at follow through and stuff like that. And project management is like you are the accountable party, and so it helped me um, grow in areas where I was weak. But it also helped me understand sort of the business of getting creative work done. So I knew that it was a good path for me. Probably a month in, but maybe I was a little a little more patient. I went to the production department and I was like, "How do I become a producer? I'm." destined to work in you know making films and making commercials and directing how do I get there and they were nice but they said like you're gonna have to work here for like five years before you get there before we would transfer you and I was like oh that's too long and so I had an opportunity to join a company that was a startup in Austin and they were doing a live tv show seven nights a week that I would be the live director of I was producing it as well I would help them launch the um website that supported it. it was all in all of these ways it was a step towards that future that right. filmmaker director whatever it was it was not um the best experience but i i did gain experience um and i sort of as i went along used that as the the sort of am i going to learn something and am i going to get closer to where i want to be but at times you have to shift like i knew i was ready to leave austin and try something different and wanted to live in New york city so i took a job that like was not going to get me any more experience in the realm that I wanted, but it was a paycheck and it was, it was a vehicle to get to New York City. Um, And I did, and I worked there and it was, you know, not, not anything that was special or that was going to be a good fit. Um, And so from there it was, okay, what next? So I think that you have to be patient as you're, you know, pursuing that path of understanding what it is you want. But if you know, and have that goal in the back of your head, you can say, well, I'm taking this role because I'm going to learn something that gets me where I want to be, or I'm taking this role because um, it pays well. And while I do that, I can get an advanced degree at night or I can, you know, everyone's path is different, but I think you just want to be like, the key is to be intentional about the choices you make for where you spend your time so that all of them, you can like, I look back now. And when I think about stigma, I'm like, everything I ever did was leading to this. Like there were just so many components of doing business development and selling big strategic partnerships that is all fundraising really is um it is talking with companies to say like here's how our companies can work together and provide value for each other um i had two different sort of like side gigs where one was called vita mia productions and i did documentaries of everyday people um so people would hire me to do like a history channel style documentary of their grandpa um, or of their father and it was beautiful work and like I made people feel seen and I loved it, but the unit economics didn't work. It was not a a profitable business, but it was an enjoyable one. Um, I also had a website that was um, like Yelp for cancer resources. So I felt like cancer patients didn't have a place to go to find the best wig shop or the kind of support that they needed as they were going through treatment. Um, And that didn't make any money, but it was just like a passion project in my heart. And now as stigma is developing and it's becoming more things, it's like, it's so easy to be like, well, it's a little bit Vita Mia and it's a little bit My Health Sensei. And it's, you know, I can I can point to the stuff I've done and think they, these ro- the roads and the paths that I took did lead to this place where I am today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> so then, you like you said, you kind of made that short film about uh, mental health. How did you choose uh, that mental health and, and kind of pick that as the uh, avenue to go down?
0: So, yeah, great question that I probably should have addressed sooner. So my father is schizophrenic. And so for me, there was never um, a version of life where I didn't know what mental illness was. And um, there's a really great TED talk that anyone listening to this, I really encourage you to watch. It's called The Danger of a Single Story. And it's by a Nigerian author, a woman named Chimamanda Adichie. Um, and the point of, of her TED talk, and she's much more beautifully articulate than I'll recap it here, is just that storytelling is super powerful, but you have to be thoughtful of who's telling the story and how many times it gets told and the way in which it is shared. Um, because I, I often say when I was a young person, growing up in Prairie Village, you know, in the, the 80s and 90s, the only stories that you could consume about schizophrenia were on Law & Order or the evening news. It was always a criminal. It was always someone scary. It was always someone potentially violent. And it in no way is... representative of the actual lived experience of the majority of people who are living in this world with schizophrenia. There are people with schizophrenia at your work, at your church, at your, you know, social clubs that you're a part of. Um, And like so many other things like mental health and physical health, like we all need tools. So if you have diabetes, you probably have something measuring your insulin and you're taking medicine that helps you um, normalize your levels to where most people operate with mental health, it's not different. The, the resources are different, the needs are different, the tools in each person's toolkit, even if they have different conditions are different. Um, but what I realized was that people were terrified of schizophrenia because they didn't know what it was. And no one was telling stories that were thoughtful in trying to say, understand this person's lived experience, build compassion for what that looks like. It was, um, you know, there, there just wasn't enough. And so um, the, the mental health connection for me was something like it's my lived experience. I'm also someone who has um, generalized anxiety disorder and I have panic attacks. I didn't have my first panic attack until I was 25. It was at my 25th birthday and it was a very scary moment because no one I knew was talking about it. And so I thought like, is this uh, like a psychotic episode? Is this a, a break I'm having? Is this the start of my schizophrenia? Because schizophrenia is an inherited disease or can be. And um, disorder, I should say. Um, but i it, it was just a part of my life that no one was talking about. Um, and the truth is there there's data. The data tells us that 46% of Americans will personally experience some form of mental illness. So people who act as if like, I don't wanna talk about it or deal with that or even pretend it exists if it's not in my world, it already is. And if yeah. it's not in you, it's in someone you love. And so we should all want to learn more about this but we also know that for people who will experience mental illness, 50% of them will have felt their first symptoms by the time they're 14 and 75% total, so an additional 25% will have felt their first symptoms by the time they're 24. So for me, it's wildly important to talk to young people about this because I want young people to have the vocabulary to express what it is that they're feeling. If we don't talk about it because it's scary, it's way more scary for a young person going through it who feels like they have nowhere to go to talk about it and no safe space. So with stigma, what, we, what we're doing is creating these safe spaces for people to practice talking about that. And that could be in person at our you know, mental health pop ups that we host. It could be online in our, our web app and our, our mobile app will come out in June. Um, but for me, it was it was just Part of my identity and part of the identity of people I loved. So it was sort of like an obvious um, place I wanted to contribute my sort of desire, passion, and skill for storytelling um, to make make people who are navigating something that is way more common than anyone talks about feel um, celebrated for the fact that they're talking about it. Because it shouldn't require bravery to talk about mental health, but we live in a world where it still does. So everyone who's participated in a pop-up, we call a stigma hero. Because it's heroic. It's heroic to say I'm going to be vulnerable and expose what it is that I'm feeling and what I've been through so that if there is a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old or a 47-year-old who is navigating something and feels totally alone and like they can't talk to anyone about it, they realize that like they absolutely are not. And hey, if you want to offer this person a message of hope or share, hey, your story spoke to me, we facilitate the ability to do that. I'm Ariana Alejandra Gibson, and I'm the founder of Stigma App. What if you held the power to help others feel less alone in the palm of your hands? And what if that same tool helped you feel seen and supported when you felt lonely? There's a great quote by a mental health activist named Jake Tyler that goes something to the effect of, depression is the least exclusive club in the world, but its greatest trick is convincing you you're the only member. I want to change that. So I'm building an app that connects people who are struggling with people who share their lived experience and creates a safe space for us to share our stories. I call this crowdsourcing hope. I'd love to show you what it looks like. Sometimes all it takes to make someone feel seen is to share our stories, to prove that they're not alone. And when we do so from a hopeful place, We give them living proof that even if they're feeling low, they are not always going to feel this way. So if you are watching this and you're struggling, you are not alone. This is what it looks like to crowdsource hope.
1: Yeah, that's really cool. And I think, you know, with... Even in the last, you know, three, five years, uh, a lot of the, um, you know, public figures like sports and athletes and stuff like that coming forth and saying, you know, I'm really battling with this. And I, I want to say it was Simone Biles in the Olympics uh, most recently that I can think of saying, you know, this is taking a toll on me. And and by sharing that uh, and being vulnerable and sharing that information like you're talking about in the pop ups and, and in the app. Um, I think that's really cool just to be able to have that information out there and and share that you're not alone.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I appreciate you bringing that up too, because people will say that to me like, isn't that progress? And I say, yes, absolutely. It's wonderful. And we need more celebrities, more athletes, more people in the public eye doing it. However, all that does is open a door. And if you don't provide the space for young people to say like, I'm really hurting and feel like it's, safe or anonymous or whatever version of it 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 is that they need it's not enough because they're still going to go okay well that person can do it because they're funded by Nike and they're allowed to but like I can't tell my coach or my friends or my parents because they'll worry or they'll judge and so what what it requires is building spaces that are full of empathy and no judgment and safety
1: yeah I love that that's awesome um, so let's talk a little bit about the app and the website and what what all is involved in it and, and content and availability. Um, so we kind of talked a little bit about who it's designed for uh, as far as a user, as a user goes. Um, can you describe the onboarding process? Like if I wanted to sign up to be a, a member, um, how does that look like and, and what uh, features are available um, through that?
0: Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, So right now, all you have to do is go to our website, which is www.thestigma.app. You go there, you enter a few things, which is truly just your first name, and you can use a pseudonym or a fake name if you feel more comfortable, Um, your birth date, because you have to be 13 years or older to use the platform, Um, your email and a password and your phone number. Um, Once you do that, you are in and you can start to look at like, what are some of the stories? Can I filter stories by condition? Um, Who are the people who are asking for hope? And you can navigate messages people have created saying, I want this to go to stigma members only. So if you have not created an account, you can't view any asks for hope. And that's one layer of privacy we offer to members. Um, The other thing is that let's say that you create that account um, and that's all you do. And you say, I want to ask for hope. You are able to create an ask. I recently did one um, for the first time. So I hadn't used my product before, which is not good, you should, but um, it's hard to do, it's hard to ask for help. And I was, um, my best friend recently passed away. Um, She got diagnosed with a rare and aggressive cancer and it was just a brutal experience. And and I didn't really realize, that the second year of grief is often harder than the first. Um, and that's because, you know, a lot of this sort of like active support has worn off or like you're in shock in the beginning. And then the reality that they're gone sort of sets in. It's just a, a hard time. And so I recorded an ask for hope, but I was crying in it. and I was saying, like, I'm really struggling and all the tools in my toolkit aren't working and I could just use some support but I felt really exposed and vulnerable, even though it's a community where you have to like create an account and all of those things. And so in my case, I said, I only want this to be seen and responded to by other people who have dealt with grief. Um, And so what I liked about that was the messages that I got, like I got a message from a woman in the UK that is still like still resonates with me and I go back to it often. Um, And she talked about having lost her 28 year old son four days after his 28th birthday. And what she shared with me just made me feel less alone. It made me feel like she gets it. Hers is a different version. Like I have a son. And then it gave me perspective of, gosh, what would that feeling be like? And it's just this way to realize like, we truly aren't alone. We truly aren't. But the way to have that connection is to build a profile that's a bit more, um, like gives us a bit more information, but right. there are no public profiles. So to be no. very clear, anything that you share in terms of what you have experience with is never seen by the public. It is only so that we can match you on the back end. Right. So once you give that preliminary first name, date of birth, email, password, we will ask you, um, here's a lived experience questionnaire. Um, are there things that you have personal experience with? So, in mine, in my case, I say anxiety disorder, grief, uh, panic attacks. Okay. Then we ask, do you have a second degree connection? Meaning, is there anyone that you know and love that is dealing with other things? Like, what are other conditions that are apparent in your world? Or it could be conditions or illnesses, disorders, um, even just lived experiences. Um, and then lastly, we say, is is there stuff you just want to know more about? Like, like a research category of like, oh, my son is being, my son is autistic. And when he was getting um, tested and then you have to wait weeks for the diagnosis or, you know, the results, um, I, I would have loved to have something like this where I could say, I just want to learn more because we don't want people to misrepresent or say, you know, I, I have this thing when they don't. Um, when you enter that information, the only person who can see it is you So that you can change your account if you need to update it with a new diagnosis or a new experience Um, and us on the back end. But it's not even humans. It's sort of, you know, our technology that's connecting things so that when I do my ask for um, hope and I say, but I only want this to go to people who have uh, listed grief as a condition, as a first degree condition. um, If you have listed that, you would see it now when you're navigating all the recent asks for hope. And if you haven't, it'll never show up for you. The other really important component is that I like to say that we're trying to be the safest place that people can go online to talk about their mental health Mm -hmm. because we moderate every single message. What that means is that if I do my ask for hope, we have a team moderating to say, is there anything inappropriate in here? Does this feel like a a medical or mental health emergency where we need to um tap into our, our medical advisor network and make sure that we send support and resources and things like that um if if it all passes go then um we post it publicly to the you know the people the communities that it said not publicly publicly but like within the community or within this subset of the community and then let's say you offer me a message of hope back that's also moderated because we want to make sure that we protect people from trolling because the difference between going on TikTok or going on Instagram and sharing your story and saying, you know, I'm feeling really anxious today. I had my first panic attack. I feel like I'm the only one who has this going on. You don't know what you're going to get. Like, you're probably putting that information out there because you're hoping to get some input back of like, you're not alone. I see you like, you know, some, some sort of validation, but it may not happen. And so we exist to make sure it happens. Um, like if someone is waiting a while for a message of hope, we tap the network and say, Hey, this person's been waiting. Let's make sure that we surround this person with love. Um, but we also want to make sure that if there were a bad actor, if there were someone who was being hateful because they're struggling, because people are only hateful um, when they've been exposed to it. And when they have stuff going on in them, it is a product of what is going on in them. If you are a good person doing the right thing and you are met with hate or unkindness, it's not about you. Um, but let's say those moments happen, not only would, like if someone had, you know, done a hateful response to your ask for hope, not only would you not see it, you would never even know it happened. And I think there's a an important yeah. component there too, because in current social media, You can block someone, you can delete the comment, but you still read the words. And even if you tell yourself these words aren't aren't going to hurt me, they do because we're human and it's okay to feel things. So the overall experience is that what I've just described. But the thing that we launched today that's so exciting is that um, I realized in doing my own ask for hope, like I forgot how hard it can be when you're in the depths of something, of depression, of loneliness, of grief, of whatever it might be sort of the last thing you want to do is be pressured to find the exact words, even if it is in text and anonymous um, or speak the words or do a video. Um, often the case is that you're like, I don't want to do anything. So we wanted to make it simpler for people to be able to get messages of hope and video messages at that from real people. Right. So we, it was truly one week ago yesterday, I went to my team and I said, I want to build this thing. And we're a very small team. Um, I said, I want to build this thing and I want to make hope available kind of on demand when people need it, how do we go about doing this? And so we worked really hard over the last seven days. um, And we put together what is, um, it's now on our homepage. So that website I gave, if anyone goes there, they'll see it. Um, But the idea is that you don't have to share anything. You just have to say, I'd like a message of hope. And all it takes is a text message. So you can either text the word hope, H-O-P-E, to our phone number, which is 312 313 One 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 zero, or you can go to our website and enter your phone number in the the field there. It's right on the homepage. It's the main um, sort of way to to enter. Um, You can also join our community in the way that I described before. There's a button in the top right. But the idea is that sometimes you don't wanna have to say anything, but getting some support would feel great. So people can use this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The order is randomized. All of the messages are from current stigma members who we we reached out and said, we're trying to do this thing. Who wants to be involved? And it was really beautiful to see a bunch of people like all over the world be like, I got it. I'll do it. Um, and so while they won't be that specific, like, hey, Drew, I hear that you're I hear you on suffering with, you know, the feelings about your panic attack. It's not going to be that personalized. You actually have to join the community to have that. You can anytime, day or night, just text the word hope and you'll get a new and different message. And it was important to us to be inclusive of so as many lived experiences as we could. Um, so the other thing I'd say is that if anyone is listening to this and loves this idea and wants to either ask for hope or... You can also offer hope, like you can go to a link on our homepage where it's like, do you want to record one of these messages? And your voice and your words of kindness will be shared with people around the world. So we're so excited because it launched today, truly. Um, and I think that's the most exciting piece is that we can give people a taste of what, what it means to crowdsource hope. We can give people an outlet when they're really feeling alone and they just want you know someone to build them a little and say i I see you and you you are not Mm -hmm. um and then if and when they're ready they can join the community and and share more or watch more stories or you know connect with um others when they need those those boosts that are more personal
1: yeah something i want to go back on about what you were talking you know you said you kind of scan through them or the the system scans through them and, and is able to see if somebody needs immediate help with talking with a mental health specialist or a doctor How does that kind of uh, get filtered and with your team of um, doctors or people that that work with them, how does that kind of play out if they are that needs immediate help?
0: So we have um, our advisor network includes suicide prevention specialists, licensed clinical social workers, PsyDs, um, just therapists. Um, So it's a kind of nice mix of people. Um, When someone does an ask for uh, hope on the platform, like when you've joined the community and you click ask for hope, the first thing that you're asked is, Is this a medical or mental health emergency? If someone says yes, then we have a process. We send them resources. We reach out 24 hours later and say, hey, we just want to check in, send them the resources again. We have a really robust um, crisis resources page that includes um, a lot a lot more than even though they're wonderful, the suicide prevention line and the crisis text line. We have um, those in various countries. We have trans support lifelines. We have domestic abuse hotlines. We have just a lot of ways in which people might need support. So you can feel like you can get more closely to the the support that you need and have it all in one place. Um, but if someone says no and they proceed, we've had um, we had someone who heard me on a podcast um, join the community instantly within minutes, um, didn't ask for her hope and said, "Um, I'm feeling suicidal. And um, I don't feel like I can tell the people in, in my, my family about it, because they'd be too afraid. And so that was an example of one where they said, No, it's not an emergency, but we still passed it through our advisor network. And what was really beautiful is they said, this isn't a crisis and there are various reasons why and and sort of criteria they use to understand suicide risk. Um, but they said it's also the reason your platform exists because this is a person who where would that person have taken these feelings
1: if not here days down the road. Right.
0: Exactly. And what's another beautiful part of that story is that, um, right now, if you put an ask for hope up, it just is up and it stays up. And so we have this building ever building library of asks for hope. And this person, um, put you know did this ask probably 3 months ago now and it was probably last week that we got an offer of hope for this person so i emailed and said hey it's it's ariana the founder um i just want to make sure because we're still a young company so we don't have every sophisticated tool to be able to like make all the selections you want right do you want me to retire this and unpublish this ask or do you like getting these messages when they come through and this person said to me don't get rid of it it's it serves for me as a really good reminder to stay positive that just comes out of the blue. And it was, it was wonderful. It was wonderful to hear that it wasn't anything that felt triggering, but that's the kind of um, those are the steps we take to ensure the psychological safety of the people on the platform to make sure that even though it was a beautiful kind message of hope that was coming, I wanted to make sure that that it wasn't a reminder of a time that this person felt bad. Um, And so it was, it was great to hear, but we'll continue to do that and sort of, Ask our audience Do you want to participate in this new feature? Do you, is there something we could be doing better? Um, Because I think there's some, um, you know, great opportunities overall for us to create it. I want us to be the most trusted place people can go to get information from people with lived experience. So we're starting to work on a blog. And um, I recently started working with a um, transgender non-binary producer. And um, Hannah goes, uses the pronoun they, them. And so it's practice for me to, you know, be thoughtful in how I articulate that. But I said, are you open to writing some blog posts about Kind of your lived experience and perspective because they also work as um sort of a, a social work counselor at Chicago House, which is um a, a place that helps trans youth here in the city. Um and so I think I, I want people to understand that we are always going to find ways to put the people who have the lived experience um, on, on stage or on the line or on, you know, right authoring the blog post with their permission and consent, because that's what people want. There, there are studies that show that um, when people go online searching for support for their mental health, the number one thing they're looking for is stories of people like them, because yeah. it is, you know, it's living proof that you're not alone. And it also, there's validity to someone saying, I have been through this exact thing. I have climbed the mountain that you are at the beginning of. I'm going to share what worked for me. It doesn't mean it'll work for you, but you get a bit of a roadmap. And I think that is one of the most helpful things we can give people um, when they're facing something that's going to be a bit of an uphill battle.
1: Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned also was retiring a post. Um, As far as uh, a user, can I go in and retire my own post or is that something that goes away over time or how does that kind of work out?
0: right now you reach out to us and then we do it. So you have control to say like, I want this to be done Um, in the mobile app that we're building. You'll have the ability to say like, I want to turn this off or I want to turn this back on. And I think that's another nice thing to, to be able to, um, point to a, a something you were feeling, and that feeling comes back, and you don't want to have to rearticulate it. And you can just flip that on with a you know flip of a switch. Um, yeah. We're also looking at um, ways to help people better understand their own feelings. So there's there's more to mental health than diagnoses in in a you know mental illness DSM five diagnostic guide. Um, we might feel alone, and there's a difference between feeling isolated alone, like maybe you live alone and you don't have a big social, social circle, and feeling alone because you feel rejected because you were bullied at school. And so what we want to help people do is find the words to articulate, like, I feel bad. Okay, let's dig deeper. Do you feel sad, angry, alone? I feel alone do you feel rejected or do you feel isolated? Oh, I feel rejected because I got fired or because people bullied me at school. And I think once we help, like we can help people learn that about themselves, which is gonna make them better at asking for help, uh, at telling others how they're feeling. Um, But it also means that the messages of hope they're gonna get are gonna be more specific. So if you say, I feel bad, then people might say, when I feel bad, I go for a walk. But if you say, I feel rejected, even if you don't give the context of I was bullied or I got fired, everyone knows what it feels like to feel rejected. And so then they can tap into their lived experience and say, when I feel rejected, I put a list together in my head or on paper of the things that I'm really proud of myself for. And that might not work for the person, but at least it's a very specific tool that they can get um, that might help them get to a place of feeling better than than they started.
1: Yeah, no, I, I really like that. Um, so as far as uh, some industry trends that you've Seen dealing with uh, mental health and, and building your app, and looking at and talking to all the different resources that you have available. What are some of the the trending things you know over the last year or two that people have really started to um, tap into? Maybe some new resources or uh, stuff that's available for people that are looking for mental health help.
0: Oh, that's a loaded question because there's so many people doing hard work and good work, but I feel like we're still kind of far from where we need to be. Um, There was an estimate in 2018 that there were 10,000 mental health apps. And then in 2020, the estimate doubled to 20,000. So in two years, the number of mental health apps doubled. And that was 2020. So we're years away from that. So now there are even more. Um, One of the trends that I see is that it feels as if a lot of these sort of solutions in the mental health space are focused on making the experience better for people who are already getting treatment or therapy, meaning they are reducing the cost of care. They are increasing access or, you know, making it easier for you to go to therapy because it's teletherapy and you don't have to drive to a different facility Um, or they're focused on health outcomes. And all of those are valid, noble, amazing efforts to be focused on. What I think is missing and the reason I called the company stigma is we, we are focused as a company on, um not serving the people who have already raised their hand and said i'm struggling or i'm in therapy yeah. we want to attract the 60 to 80% of people with treatable mental illness who aren't seeking treatment and and depending on the study you look at it is between 60 and 80% of people who are struggling with some something in their mental health and not getting treatment for it. And the reasons are varied. Um, stigma is actually the last on the list. In the United States, the reason for not seeking treatment, number one, is a mistrust of providers. Okay. And it's not because providers are bad, it's because there are movies like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and there are experiences in you know TV, film, whatever it might be, where people think, if I say that I'm having suicidal thoughts, I'm going to have to go to a mandatory 72 hour psych hold. And that's right. not how this works. It's not how it works at all, but there's fear. The second reason on the list, which is just under that reason, is people don't know where to go. They don't know where to start. They don't know who to ask. They don't know what kind of help is possible. So when we say, you know, our tagline for the company is crowdsourcing hope, it's not just crowdsourcing the stories of people or the messages from people saying, hey, Drew, you're not alone. Me too. It's also the people saying, so I have panic attacks. And when I feel one coming on, I work on grounding exercises. So if I can, and this is true for me, this is my one oh. of my tools, I will get up, go to the bathroom and wash my hands with cold or hot water. So that change in temperature, that physical shock to my system helps me get grounded in the moment, get out of that train of thought that my mind wants to go on and it helps. Sometimes yeah. it happens and I'm on a panel and I can't leave the panel and speaking engagement to go wash my hands. So right. I might um, squeeze like the palm of my hand with my um. Thumb and forefinger. Like they're just different things that I try. But I also know if I drink more water, um, if I don't have a lot of alcohol, if I get workouts in, all of those things are daily maintenance things that help me personally um, have fewer panic attacks. And so I might share that and someone else might say, um, I hate working out. And so for me, I meditate. And that's wonderful. The idea is not that if someone shares their tools, everyone with panic attacks is going to benefit from it. Mm -hmm. But there are going to be some people who go, I didn't even know that existed. I didn't know I could try that therapy. I didn't know that this was good for that. And so that's a big piece of of what we're trying to do. And I would just say, trends overall is that there are a lot of people trying to do a lot. um, But we have to figure out how to get better at social connectedness because the end result of navigating mental illness is often loneliness, is feeling judged, is feeling other, is feeling isolated like no one else would ever understand. Um, And we need to help create opportunities for social connection that are healthy and that make people realize that is not the case.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So looking at the stigma app and kind of, you know, some of the trends that are happening now and and sourcing that, that hope for everyone Um, where do you kind of see the company going maybe five to 10 years down the road from now?
0: Um, well, I'm excited to say that we're like getting involved in more sophisticated content. Um, so, you know, right now we capture people's stories at, um, mental health pop-ups. We will always do that. We will always have individual stories and be able to sort of filter by, um, diagnosis, by lived experience, things like that. Um, but we've started to put together compilations of, you know, here are three women with autism. Most autism stories you hear are of men. Um, So here are three women. So how can we present and tell stories in ways that are the unexpected? Um, But with those, it's sort of a, a compilation. The next stage is that we'll be releasing um, a video in June for um, Pride Month in celebration of the LGBTQ experience that will be incorporating expert interviews uh, in and B-roll and stuff that makes it feel more like a film that you'd watch on Apple TV, which is great because we will be launching an Apple TV and Roku channel um, this year. So that's a really fun way that we can get people exposed to our content. So even if they decide they don't want to opt in to being a member of the app, or maybe they just like the text message option, they can still consume the content in a place where it's sort of familiar, where you go to watch movies. And so we're excited to build out that part of the business. Um, And then I think the the beautiful thing will be, I want millions of people using the community. I want it to always be free. I want to do everything I can with um, our business relationships and strategic partnerships to ensure that this is a truly accessible and very real way to make people feel connected and less alone. Um, but that will require, you know, a lot of work. Um, a lot of people giving it a shot, testing it out. So it, you know, if everyone listening to this would just try texting hope or whatever feels like, if you want to join the community, we love that even more, or watching our stories um, and tell friends, if you have a friend who is struggling um, you know, when a friend gets a diagnosis, you don't understand, it's hard to know the right things to say. And what we hope is that people will go to stigma app and be like, I'm going to send the link to all of the bipolar stories so that my friend knows like, Hey, look at all of these people who are also navigating it and they're heroes and they sound so, um, you know capable or smart or confident or happy or honest you know we we promise that it's not going to be sugar coated we're not going to make it sound better than it is it's always going to be honest content But the tone is always hopeful because this is a reality. We have, you know, people who are born without a limb have more physical challenges than people who are born with all of their limbs, just like people who are born um, with potentially an inheritable kind of disorder or condition are going to struggle with things that are, you know, related to executive functioning or social engagement or um, their mood regulation. It's just being human. And the sooner we get people to understand that, the, the happier I think humankind will be
1: yeah, I think that's really important. And a, a lot of those things that just mentioning, you know, like you said, millions and millions of users uh, worldwide and available to everyone. Um, currently, in the in the place we are now, how many people are on stigma and and actively mem- or uh, have an account?
0: Um, we just crossed 400, which is very exciting because we haven't promoted it. You know, we haven't spent money to advertise it. Um, we this month are potentially going to double last month's growth. So it's, you know, it's it's in the beginning stages of things, but we grow month over month. Yeah. Um, our hope is that people will try this texting option because it's a, an easier way to try it out and see how it feels. Um, and we do hope that, you know, within a, a short period of time in a few months, we'll have tens of thousands. I think it's very yeah. possible. Um, mm-hmm. I was really inspired by the pep talk hotline that um there was like six uh, six year olds in California created this hotline. You can call and you get you know a pep talk from a six year old and it's so yeah. adorable. And they were getting eleven thousand calls an hour. And so I had kind of resisted um, you know, doing anything where it was as, um, uh, sort of public because I thought the value of this was like, it's personal. It's, hey, Drew, I'm Ariana and I've been through it. And that value cannot be understated and it will always exist. But what I realized to the point I made earlier is it can be hard to ask for help or just ask for some building. Like it's hard to go like, if you and I were like friendly and talked every day on the phone, it would be hard for me to be like, hey, can you build me up today? Can you tell me everything's going to be OK, especially as you get older, because you're expected yeah. to just operate like it's all OK. And so if we can give people a resource to go to with an ever growing library of faces of people who say, hey, here's what I do. You're not alone. I see you. It's just this like beautiful vision of the future where you know millions of people can do that. And that doesn't require moderating everything because we moderate the offers that come in and then they're there for eternity. Um, And so then when people ask that library grows of approved content, but the scale can expand and we can, we can handle the the scale. So I'm excited as you can, if you can't tell.
1: (laughs) I feel like we could talk on this for, for several hours about all the different things and features and stuff that we're looking for. You know, you really gave some really good uh, advice for high school students and college students along throughout the, the, talk that we've had um and, and advice for people looking for mental health and uh help and you know people to reach out to them and all i mean just a lot of really good advice um do you have a, a mantra or quote that you kind of live your life through that you know and explain how it uh kind of helps you throughout the throughout your day
0: yeah um, and i didn't have one until my friend lauren died um but i was um definitely, there's a, something called anticipatory grief, which is just the grief that happens when you know you're going to lose someone. And so it's this complicated feeling of missing them before they're gone. And then the guilt you feel over having those feelings. And um, it, it was really hard. Um, and at the same time, a pediatrician was saying, um, your son should be talking by now. Your son isn't pointing. He doesn't respond to his name. And there were things that we were doing on the checklist that we were kind of aware of, but it's we're a, a dual language household. And so, you know, sometimes they don't talk because of that. So there was just a lot of uncertainty in my world. Um, and then Lauren died on May 20th, um, 2020, or May 12th, 2020. And six weeks later, my only child, my son River was diagnosed with autism. And when it happened, I was in a place where I was so depressed, like I I had never felt that feeling of, I'm so depressed, I can't get out of bed. And I was having that feeling managing a big team at a hyper growth startup was like had a lot of responsibility on me. Um, And then Now, not only did I have to get out of bed and do all of those things I didn't feel like I could do, I also had to be a like, quote unquote, autism mom, meaning I had to be an advocate, I had to figure out like, we found out that the school that he went to, our insurance didn't cover him getting the therapies he needed there. So I had to get on the phone with insurance for hours and find a school. And it was there were so many times where I truly had the moment of I can't do this. I can't do, I can't do this. I can't handle all of the things that I'm supposed to do. And it was such an overwhelming feeling that my mantra was born out of and on a Peloton um, was born out of me going, I can do anything. And it was so sort of absurd a claim. I can do anything that like, you think when you're little, you kind of believe when you're little, I had lost touch with that, I think. And um, I thought I'm getting through every day. I'm my team at work is happy, and I'm being a great mom, and I'm being a good partner and being a, a sister and a daughter and a all of these things. And I was like, if I can do all of those things, while I'm feeling the lowest I've ever felt, I can do anything. And so for me, especially when I see the impossible, I tell myself I can do anything.
1: Yeah, I like that a lot. And I think, you know, Showing that and that uh, thoughts and feelings of you know where you were and and being able to strive through that and really just show that passion of of being able to take care of the family, to be that friend, that sister, the you know business worker is really important. Um, so if people want to connect with Stigma app or with you, Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, website again, and uh, the phone number also. Yeah,
0: so um, our social handles that are probably most relevant to your audience is TikTok is at um, thestigma.app, as is Instagram, so at thestigma.app. Our website is thestigma.app. So I tried to make it really easy. Um, So those are kind of like the key places where you can engage with us and and see things. Um, If you go to our website, you'll see the form field where you can just enter your phone number to get that message of hope. And you can hit hope and reply hope as many times as you want and get new videos every time. Um, But if you just want to, if you're listening and you just want to text, you just text the phone number 312-313-1110 and text the word
1: hope. Perfect. Well, Ariana, thank you so much for this hour that you have spent with us and talking about stigma and mental health, and I'm really excited to look forward to the growth of your company.
0: Thank you so much. I was really happy to be here. I appreciate it.
1: If you've made it this far into the episode, I want to thank you again for watching. Please subscribe, share, and comment below with any questions or comments you may have. If you're interested in more information about other professions within healthcare careers, Please visit healthsciencecoach.com and talk to your school counselor or academic advisor. As always, stay happy, healthy, and live life with passion.